The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. No matter what it was, you simply didn't see it coming. It might be relational or, or your health. It could be your finances or future plans. I mean, we all know that we'll face challenges in life, but sometimes we're hit by something that feels as if, it almost feels as if the enemy has won. Sheila Walsh reminds us that we are victorious because of the work of Christ on the cross. Next. Hi, welcome to Life Today. I'm Sheila Walsh. You know, I was out not so long ago um, in Oklahoma and talking to a group of women, there were probably about 2,000 women. And at the end, I had that privilege. One of the things I love to do is when I finish speaking, is just to kind of make myself available. Because, you know, you can stand there on a platform and share things that you believe, but I love to get a chance then to listen to what women have to say as to how perhaps that message hit them. And there was one woman in particular that I've thought about a lot since then. And, and I've prayed for, because she said, you know, you talked about a God who loves us all, but she said, you don't know the things I've done in my life. And she said, I'm struggling to believe that A, when my own father rejected me, and B, when I've gone on to make such terrible choices in my own life, you know, why would God love me? And so I'm, I'm thinking of her today um, as, we, as we share this program. And, and maybe you're like that too, maybe you think, well, I, it doesn't make sense. You know, I know what my life is like. And to think that God would know all that's true about me and still love me, maybe it seems too good to be true. Well, I want to talk about that. You know, there's a scripture that says, um, it's an unusual scripture until you understand the context and what the people listening would have heard. And this is what it says. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. That's from Isaiah chapter 49. Well, that might seem like a strange illustration, but the Hebrew word used there for engraved is the word shakak, and it means to be cut into or cut open. Well, I didn't realize until fairly recently that the practice of having an image on the palms of your hands was a very familiar concept to Jews. The practice was called ensigns of Jerusalem. What Jewish men would do is they would engrave pictures of the temple or of Jerusalem, of the skyline of Jerusalem on the palms of their hands. And it meant for these devout Jews that these images would always be before them. This is what they did. They would choose an image and then have it cut into a block of wood. Then they dip the image into powder or charcoal and apply it to the palm of their hands. Next, they would take two needles, tie them tightly together and dip the needles into ink, then gently pierce along the image, careful not to draw blood. When the image was complete, it would be washed in wine. Um, I guess it was earliest version of tattoos. It reminded them of the temple, but it didn't remind them 
of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They still had to follow all the laws given to Moses. They still had to have an animal sacrificed, symbolically taking their sin away. They had to do this over and over. But the prophet Isaiah spoke of the one to come who would step into our place and once and for all take our punishment on himself. Remember these words, some of the most beautiful, painful. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds, we are healed. You know, I remember as a child growing up in Scotland, being told in Sunday school that God had our names inscribed into the palms of his hands. And I remember thinking, how big does God's hands? I mean, how big do they have to be if he's gonna fit us all in? But you know, now I think that every time God the Father sees the pierced hands of Christ, he sees you and he sees me. There is no image that displays the love of God more perfectly than the scars of Jesus. The scars tell God's story. It was evening of the first day of the week. The followers had gathered together with the doors locked because they were afraid of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace, be still. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the followers saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. That's in John's gospel, John chapter 20. I can only imagine what that day must have been like. I mean, think about it. For, for three years, these men and women had followed Jesus from town to town. They watched the crowds grow, saw miracles happen before their eyes. I mean, think about it. They had seen Jesus turn a storm into a sea of glass with a single word. And they knew from their understanding of history, they knew that at any moment now, Jesus would take his place in Jerusalem and overthrow the Roman government. It's important to remember what they knew of scripture at that point. I mean, they didn't have what we have. All they had were the Old Testament scrolls. These would be read to him in the temple since they were children. Every Jew held on particularly to the promise of these words from the prophet Isaiah about the coming Messiah. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. I think about it. If that's all you've heard since you were a child, then you would expect that if Jesus was indeed the Messiah, all these things were about to happen now. 
they had followed Jesus, watched him do the things prophesied that Messiah would do. And now they were just waiting. They were waiting for Christ to take over. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, remember Palm Sunday on a donkey, and the crowds went wild throwing palm branches at his feet, they must have believed that the reign of Messiah was beginning. The story that they had been waiting for for so long was beginning to unfold, but not the way they thought it would. John records most of that final conversation Jesus had with his disciples on the night he was betrayed. He tried to prepare them for what was about to happen, but they didn't understand. What does he mean when he says, in a little while you won't see me, but then you will see me, and I am going to see the Father? And what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand, was what the disciples said. Yet they were singing hymns that night as they left the upper room and headed across the Kidron Valley. Then, to their understanding, it all started to go terribly wrong. Haven't you ever been there? I know I have. You know, maybe you're in a great place and you're loving God, your family's intact, when suddenly something you didn't see coming happens and you wonder where God is. And does he see what's going on? I'm thinking now of the thousands of messages I've received over the years asking that very question. What went wrong? I could relate so many of the different situations to you, but the one that hits you hardest is your own. No matter what it was, you simply didn't see it coming. It might be relational or or your health, it could be your finances or future plans, but whatever it was, when it hits and it feels wrong, it's hard not to panic. I mean, we all know that we'll face challenges in life, but sometimes we're hit by something that feels as if, it almost feels as if the enemy has won. That's a frightening place to be. And that must have been how the disciples felt that night. If you think about it, try and put yourself there. It's dark, and the, the first thing they saw were flaming torches approaching them, the sound of boots on the ground. And then Judas stepped out of the shadows and kissed Jesus on the cheek. I'm sure they never quite trusted him. Money always seemed to be disappearing, but no one, no one could have expected this. Somehow that kiss on the cheek seemed to unlock the powers of hell and the soldiers and the temple guards moved in to arrest Christ. I know that later that night, Peter would deny he knew Jesus. But I think that sometimes we forget what Peter did in the garden. When Peter saw what was happening, he drew out his sword and sliced off the ear of the high priest slave. Peter was ready to fight. They were vastly outnumbered by the soldiers and Christ's friends were not warriors. Think about it, they were fishermen. I believe, I believe Peter was ready to die in the garden that night. So when Jesus told him to put his sword away and then he went on to heal the slave, I mean, it made no sense. 
It must have felt a bit like a slap in the face to a proud man like Peter. From that moment on, everything seemed out of control. Finally, after a mockery of a trial and a Roman flogging, all their dreams, all their hopes for the future were nailed to a cross. As Christ died, the very earth literally shook underneath their feet, and then night fell hard. Mark tells us that when some of the women went to the tomb on that resurrection morning, an angel told them that Christ wasn't there, that he had risen from the dead. The angel instructed Mary to tell the disciples and Peter. How kind to let Peter know that despite the fact he had denied Christ, he was included. The angel told them that Jesus had gone ahead of them to Galilee. I mean, that must have sounded way too good to be true. Nothing made sense anymore. Well, that evening, they gathered together behind locked doors. Life was not safe or predictable anymore. If the Jewish leaders could take an innocent man and have him crucified, were they next? Well, suddenly, they all stopped talking. Then Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace to you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Peace to you. Can you even begin to imagine the pure, unadulterated joy of that moment? I mean, they'd seen the bruised and battered body taken down from the cross and wrapped in linen that became as red as crimson. But now, here he was, alive again. Have you, have you ever wondered why Christ kept the scars after his resurrection? He could have chosen to rise without the signs of that brutal, brutal execution. He had experienced so much pain, but he kept the marks. Perhaps one of the reasons was for his closest friends. They would have no doubt this was Jesus the Christ who had been crucified. As Christ held out his nail-pierced hands and wounded side, they were no longer marks of death. They were signs of the ultimate victory, declaring that death was overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Christ wears those scars in heaven today as glorious trophies of the battle he has won. Have you ever thought about the only earthly thing in eternity will be the scars of Christ. I wonder what the angels thought when they saw the Holy One return marked like this. I think it would only make sense that the worship in heaven would become much more intense, the praise even more glorious, the wonder of what God in Christ had been willing to do for those he loves. These scars are trophies of grace. If you are ever tempted for a moment to doubt your worth, remember this. The only innocent one 
whoever lived is marked forever because he thought you, he thought you were worth it. The same man who wrote that beautiful hymn you might remember, Rock of Ages, in the 18th century, wrote this. My name from the palms of his hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart, it remains in marks of indelible grace. I don't know how you feel as you think about that, but Easter week is the most glorious week in all of the calendar year. Good Friday is the, the darkest night this earth has ever known. You know, when the, the very ground shook and some of the tombs opened. But do you remember reading that the curtain in the temple, which it's not like the drapes that you and I probably have in our house. The drapes, that curtain in the temple was the width of a man's hand. And you might remember this detail, that it was ripped from top to bottom. Not from the bottom up as if some men could have done it, but from the top to the bottom, because only God himself could have ripped that curtain and said, there is no more barrier between God and man because of the shed blood of Christ. You and I get to come into the very presence of God. I wonder if you might be ready to come to a place of taking a fresh look at your own life through the cross and through the resurrection. We were, when my husband and I were selling a home and we were trying to put a value on it. I remember saying to the, the realtor, how do you decide what to price a house at? And she said, well, it's, you price it at whatever people are willing to pay for it. That's the value that Christ places on your life his own life. That's how much he thought that you were worth. I want you to remember that even though we ask you here to help us in some of the missions we're involved with, and you're always so faithful, you do such an amazing job, I never want you to forget that we're here for you as well. If you would love somebody to pray with you, if you're going through a real struggle and you feel all alone, just know that we're always here. And you can call. We have an amazing team of prayer warriors who would count it a privilege. But now I want to show you people who are still living, literally, perhaps not in physical chains, although some of them do, but locked away, thinking there's no hope, there's no help for me. I want to show you that you and I, when we determine together, because of what Jesus did on the cross, and because of the fact that he rose again, the freedom that we have received in Christ is something that we want to extend to so many people around the world who are living today in modern slavery. Would you watch this? And then I'll talk to you about something that you and I can do to change that. Who's your, who's your best 
mean, some of these are like 14, 15-year-old girls, and they wake up beside some 50, 60-year-old man, and they're held for weeks and months. Do you remember that first night? Do you remember what that felt like? You and I, as God's sons and daughters, we've got to be the ones telling these girls, you have a future and you have a purpose and you have a hope and there is a God who loves you. And there are people on this planet who know this God and want to share this love with you. You are not worthless. You are not worth $10 every time a man comes through the door. If we don't help, nobody's going to help. I don't know how you respond when you see something like that. I don't know how it hits you, but I have to tell you, there's something that rises up in me and it makes me so angry that this is happening on our planet in this day and time. And what makes me even more frustrated is that the body of Christ is still on this earth. You know, we are here. And you just, I mean, I opened my Bible to Psalm 10 and it says this. This is verses 17 and 18. Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you will hear their cries and comfort them. You will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed so mere people can no longer terrify them. You know, some of the girls that we show you there, they're probably in their mid to late teens. We don't show you the ones that we actually spend much more time with. They're little girls. They're eight and nine and 10 years old. And some of them have been abandoned by their parents. One particular little girl that we just fell in love with, her dad was in prison and her mom had run off with a younger man. She is 12 years old and she's the breadwinner in the family. She has to take care of her three younger brothers and sisters. So she goes out late at night gathering beer cans to sell. And that's when she gets snatched and locked up in a room and drugged and forced to have sex with sometimes 10, 12 men a night. I'm, I mean, I'm a mom. And when I look into the eyes of these little girls, it breaks my heart. Now, scripture tells us God hears their cries, but we need to hear their cries too. So many times when we go there, it's, you know, I'll hear from anything from like a 10 year old to a 22-year-old who now has perhaps been rescued because that's the thing that I want to make clear to you. This isn't just about showing you the worst of the worst. Yes, sometimes you need to see that. But our whole mission here is threefold. It's reach, rescue, and restore. The reach part is we want to go into the villages and warn these young girls, educate them, so that when some stranger shows up and says, hey, you know, would you like to hear about a great job available in town? They know to run for their lives. But then when the girls have already been captured, I mean, I just heard last night from some of the people we worked with in Southeast Asia that they broke in, they had a raid in the middle of the night, kicked down the door, rescued nine girls, and the youngest was nine years old. 
but then we bring them to a place where they can be restored. So I need you to help us. This is the last week of Rescue Life. We've been given a $320,000 matching gift. It used to be, if you could write a check for $128, that would reach, rescue and restore one girl. And for some of you, that's honestly just too much for your budget. But now because of this matching gift, if you can do 64, it'll be matched by one of our partners and you will have been able to help reach, rescue and restore one girl. If some of you that have been blessed by God, you might be able to write a check for 1,280. Normally, that would have reached, rescued and restored 10 young girls. This time, last week, you can rescue 20. So please go to your phone, call that number, go online, give the best gift possible. Let's make sure that we as God's children hear their cries and we do something about it and we do it now. Behind the bright lights, there is a darkness where a world of innocence is lost and abuse runs rampant, scarring the souls of children with no one and nowhere to turn for help. With bodies broken and hopes crushed, these young victims are trapped in a never-ending nightmare. Today, you can shine the light of God's love in this dark world to reach, rescue, and restore these young ones to the life God designed for them to live. With a generous $320,000 matching gift, now your gift of $128 to help rescue a child can be double to help two children. Your $64 gift will be matched to help rescue one child from the horrors of human trafficking. And a $32 mission rescue gift will be doubled to $64. And with your donation of any amount, we'll send you the Promises of Christ gift book filled with beautiful photographs, scriptures, stories, and commentary from James Robison. With your gift of $128 or more, you'll receive the Names of Jesus Throw. This beautifully woven blanket features the names of Jesus in many languages. It'll make a lovely addition to your home and serve as a beautiful reminder and spiritual comfort to the Lordship of our Savior. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,280, which will now help rescue 20 children, and you may request our beautiful new bronze sculpture, Safe in the Shepherd's Arms. This is the last week. Please call, write, or make your gift online. Thank you so much. If the lines are busy, please be persistent. This is our last week. We need to make a difference in the lives of these little girls who are calling out for help. Now, for any gift at all, we'll give you this beautiful book called The Promises of Christ. And I know you don't do it for the gifts. It's just our way of saying thank you. But I guess I just feel such an urgency for this mission because I was there just a few weeks ago. And you sit down with these precious little girls who are longing for someone to care. And I think, here's the great news, we can make, we can bring you the mission field to your own lazy boy recliner. You just have to help us and we will get that help to them. So thanks so much for all you do. Just know here at Life Today, we love you. I'm Sheila Walsh saying, see you next time.
If you are in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, come be a part of the Life Today studio audience. Go to lifetoday.org forward slash tickets, lifetoday.org forward slash tickets. So often we think it's our purpose is way out there somewhere. We've got to work to find it. I think so often it's just threaded through our everyday life. Tomorrow. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.